Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. This week, we're talking to Cyrus Shank, the founder of the company Renown. You may have heard about an indie ski brand called Renown Skis, but that company is actually simply called Renown, and as you listen to my conversation with Cyrus, I think you're going to increasingly understand why. To be honest, this conversation kind of floored me, and I'm still basically wrapping my head around it. Currently, Cyrus is a ski designer who has developed a patented technology that no other ski company uses. He calls it HDT, Hyper Damping Technology, and while yes, this most definitely sounds like something that is probably complete and utter BS, you're going to want to listen to this conversation first before you arrive at that snap judgment. But beyond the fact that Cyrus has a patented technology that won him an ISPO Gold Award a few years back, the real reason that I'm still pretty floored by this conversation is because Cyrus is thinking big and definitely outside of the box, and definitely not merely about skis. I think I'm just going to leave it at that for now. Let Cyrus tell his story, and let you see what I'm talking about. We do also have a number of supporting videos, photos, and other materials in the show notes to this episode posted on the Blister website, so be sure to check those out, too. Before we begin, I want to remind you that we are heading to Telluride tomorrow to test a ton of new 1819 gear. We have an insane lineup of skis. You can check our article on the website called Testing in Telluride to get a sense of what all we're bringing, and it's going to be a blast, I'm certain. We are dialing in meeting times and locations tonight that we'll be posting up at the bottom of that Testing in Telluride article on the website. So head to Telluride for the weekend and let's either ski a few laps or meet up for an operate beer. Either way, we look forward to seeing some of you in Telluride. And now let's get to my conversation with renowned founder Cyrus Schenk. Cyrus, how are you today? Hey, Jonathan. I'm, I'm doing super. Well, great. And where are you today? I'm calling in from uh, Burlington, Vermont. Uh, currently the rainy 45 degree Burlington, Vermont. It's okay. not looking too wintry out there right now. Okay. Uh, well, I'm, I'm very happy to be talking. This conversation uh, feels like it's been uh, a long time coming. And for those who aren't familiar with you and with Renown, I'm really curious and kind of just going back to the beginning uh, and learning, like, where did you grow up? And we're going to kind of go from there. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm going to start from the beginning. I, I was born in Wheaton, Illinois, super uh, mountainous region, if you know Illinois well. Um, I moved to Vermont when I was four and uh, yeah, basically been here ever since. I went to school, high school, not actually too far from where I'm calling in from now. Um, left high school, went to college at Clarkson University, which is like way upstate New York, basically go to Canada, turn around and that's Clarkson. I studied aeronautical engineering there for two years, um, was pretty, I wasn't bored, just kind of fed up with uh, kind of the, <laughs> the, the system there. Um, before I left, I, I worked for GE for a year, uh, General Electric, uh, as a field engineer, which was super fun, actually. I got to basically live in Lake Tahoe. I had a season's pass to six different resorts, um, and I had a GE credit card, and I flew around the country installing their um, really expensive gadgets, basically. Huh. Uh, so... It was, it was a fun year. Um, 
learned a lot, came back to school, did one more semester, and basically came home on Christmas break, uh, thought over the past three and a half years of my life, and figured that I really did not ever want to be an engineer in the, the typical sense of the term. So I dropped out. Uh, and Renown actually was this kind of side project at the time. Like the cute story would be that, oh, I dropped out and you know started this, this company. No, the reality was Renown was already going as just a small project on the side. And uh, I just took it on because I, I had a feeling that there was something to it that was a little different. And um, it, like the, the order of events is a little complicated, but basically we had this idea for this, you know, putting this crazy polymer in a, inside of a ski. And uh, when I left school, I, I just wanted to figure it out and kind of push it to see where it was going to go. Um, the way I saw it was, you know, my dad has this great thing called the rocking chair test where you like look back in your life, you know, as if you're 85 on your rocking chair. And uh, if I left school, um, I didn't know what was going to happen. And if I stayed in school, I knew exactly what was going to happen. I was going to end up working for GE, making 65K, um, working for the man. Mm-hmm. And so I left school and, and started this thing and, and just pushed it as far as I could. Um, and it's been a, a hell of a ride. Uh, you know, I'm an engineer turned ski builder to your and, you know, kind of, I guess, um, founder CEO. Hmm. Um, but it's, it's been a long and fun road. <laughs> Definitely lots of trials and tribulations kind of thing, but it's, uh, it's one I would not trade for anything. Huh? So what, when did you get, what is your skiing background like? When did you first start skiing or when did you fall in love with skiing or if, if those are two different things? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure I started skiing when I was like two and a half, three years old. My dad um, would bring us to the mountains. Um, I remember we skied a lot of Sugar Bush, um, a little bit of Madiver Glen, and when we got a little bit older, uh, Jay Peak. Um, I don't remember like the day I fell in love with it. I feel like it was just, it was just such a big part of me when I was growing up that uh, that's just, it was just what I what we did at every weekend when we were in school. We would drive, you know, three hours from Clarkson to J Peak, and then three hours back, um, almost you know, almost every weekend. So it's been a part of my life for I don't know, basically as long as I can remember. So when you you did a a nice quick overview of you know f- kind of school and then engineering and and kind of finding these polymers. But when you found this material, were you thinking, hey, I've always wanted to build skis and this might be an interesting way or interesting material to use? Or were you like, I wonder what other applications there might be for this material? Turns out I like skiing. Maybe there's that's something that could be pursued. Yeah. So it was actually, it was totally backwards. You know, I think the typical ski stories, you know, it's a bunch of buddies that get together and like, oh, let's build a pair of skis. We're going to make it rad. It's going to be awesome. And there's, you know, surround, you know, some beer at the bar kind of thing. For us, it was like totally backwards. Um, we actually built skateboards uh, just because we not, we weren't bored in school, but we just wanted to do something else like with our hands because uh, Clarkson was like, a big, pretty big nerd uh, school kind of thing. So rather than dealing with all the numbers, we wanted to actually do something for real. And we actually morphed from uh, skateboards into just building skis. So, we were actually already building skis. Um, this was about three. We built the first ski like two months before I dropped out. And um, we didn't even learn about the polymer until after that. Um, so it was weird. We actually had the skis already being built. They, they were terrible. They sucked. Like we don't, we never even rode the first couple pairs that were that bad. Like we just mm-hmm. hung them up on the wall as, you know, kind of a like homage to where we came from kind of thing. And, uh, and yeah, I was just sitting in class one day and we were with this teacher 
Ajit, and uh, he hated teaching. <laughs> I remember him like he would tell us that, like, I'm only here because I have to be. Like, this is just a bunch of bullshit. Uh, but I'm gonna teach you kids like whatever I know. And uh, it's, I mean, he would literally say that stuff. And uh, <laughs> it was an interesting class. But the whole class it was called material science, and essentially. We, all we talked about was just the different building blocks of the of the world. So, you know, anything from concrete to glass to steel to wood, and how they all behave under certain um, circumstances. So, different pressures, different uh, heat, um, different uh, stresses and strains, and stuff like that. And essentially, at the end of the class, um, he said, "Like, hey, um, there's this. You know, after you guys learn all that stuff, there's this." whole segment of, of materials called the non-Newtonian polymer material or polymer. And, uh, we, you know, we didn't know what the heck it was, but he showed us this graph and basically we all looked at the graph on the board or on the screen and, and just realized that everything that he had just taught us kind of didn't make any sense there. And, and he, you know, basically was like, all right guys, like you see this one. Like, yeah, this is, this doesn't make any sense. He's like, well, this is if, if any of you have ever played with silly putty or corn section water or gublik, this is like the math behind gublik. And basically what it was saying was that, like for the most materials in the world, like steel, like everything you touch, like the computer you're on, the microphone, um, like every ski, like the fiberglass, the wood, it all has a linear correlation. Like, you know, for every action has equal and opposite reaction, right? Like we all, we all know that. Um, and so if you hit something with one, it effectively comes back at you with one. Um, and the stuff that he was showing us was kind of the opposite where the harder you hit it actually would um, change how it reacted based on how hard it was hit. And uh, it did just make any sense. And then, you know, when he explained the whole Gublik thing, um, it started kind of clicking. And for those of you who don't know what Gublik or Gublik is, it's um, just, if you mix corn starch and water, it's this kind of goopy stuff. I don't know, Jonathan, have you ever played with it by chance? I have not, no. Yeah. <laughs> so you can actually make this in your kitchen. If you just take like like one part water, one part corn uh, cornstarch, just buy it from the grocery store. You can turn this kind of slur, this goop, and you can like kind of poke it or punch it with your fist or your finger and you're your finger won't go through, but if you like let just rest your finger on it, it'll just like slide right in. Um, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so that's, that's what this like non-Newtonian classification is, is basically means that if you hit it hard, it feels hard. If you, you know, hit it softly, it gets soft and it's all, it's a very like gentle relationship. So the harder you hit it, the harder it gets and the softer you hit it, the softer it gets. So it's not, it's not a step function. It's just like, you know, like ramps up and ramps down. And so, back to this class, he's sitting there telling us about this stuff. And we, you know, had just built our first two pairs of skis. Um, we were realizing, because we're trying to talk to people about like how awesome our skis are going to be because we're, you know, smart engineers and all this, you know, looking back, all this dumb stuff. Um, <laughs> and we realized that we had nothing in common or nothing different than anybody else because what, like Rosnell doesn't have an engineer on staff? Like, of course they do. Like everybody has engineers on staff. Like it's not like building a pair of skis is not rocket science. You know, it's been done for, for so long. And it, at the end of the day, it's just a stick that slides on snow. And um, so we realized pretty quickly that we couldn't differentiate ourselves by just having, you know, cortical engineering behind it. And when we saw this non-Newtonian, you know, material, we realized, I, I said that in class, I was like, oh, that would be, if you could put that inside of a ski, that'd be pretty crazy. Uh, just because, you know, basically the faster you ski, that's, you know, the harder this thing would get, which would just basically mean a stiffer ski. And then when you went slow, it wouldn't be as stiff and it would just ramp up and ramp down. And so we just started doing research um, and research for those of you uh, in 2018 is just Googling. Uh, <laughs> we just, we just Googled a bunch of stuff and, you know, we're like typing like non-Newtonian skis or non-Newtonian materials in skis or just all this, all these different combinations of words. And we realized that no one had, well, we couldn't find anything. Uh -huh. So 
yeah, so we were just like, oh, this is pretty interesting. Um, and so what we started doing from there is we started like finding suppliers of this stuff. And like the key here is like we did not invent non-Newtonian stuff. Like this stuff has been around forever. Like blood is non-Newtonian, mm-hmm. sand and water is non-Newtonian, corn suction water is non-Newtonian. There's a lot of things in the world that you don't really think about that's actually exhibit non-Newtonian properties. In fact, some plastics do. Um, like some plastics that are you know, everyday things that you just wouldn't really think about. Um, so we just like researched and figured out how Q makes this stuff and how we could uh, adapt it for, for skiing. And the first company is the first suppliers we approached. They basically, you know, laughed at us. We're just like a bunch of college kids trying to put this inside of a pair of skis and, you know, had two pairs of really crappy skis to our names. And, um, they just said, no, uh, long story short, I kind of had on them for six months and they finally gave us some samples. Um, and then we were, you know, then we were off to the races as it was, as they say. Huh. So just to make sure I'm clear, what year are, is this? This was, oh man, <laughs> I think it's 2013 going oh. to, yeah, so the winter of 2013 to 14. Okay. Uh, we, we built our first skis basically in the fall of 2013, learned about the material not long after I spent six months hounding these guys and we did the first tests in like the spring, early summer of 2014. Okay. And so thinking about the, the material itself, it seems like in, you know, trying to think of like products where maybe we have seen this exact thing before or things like it. The thing that comes to mind is um, body armor, whether totally. that's right for like downhill, uh, downhill biking body armor or like. Uh, bulletproof vests, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Is that, are, are we yeah. talking, yes, that's the material we're talking about here? Yeah, very, very similar. We had to adapt it like, for skis and the temperatures and stuff, but very, very similar. I mean, the whole idea behind that stuff um, is actually, yeah, that's actually how we started it because we realized that those suppliers, there was something that we wanted with, that, that was going on with the suppliers that we wanted. So that's how we actually chased it down um, initially. So yeah, the cool thing with body armor is, if you put like spider silk, so like kind of go on a tangent here, but if you put like a nano strand of carbon, um, carbon atoms, basically, it's called, you know, it's basically stronger. It's 10 times stronger than spider silk. Uh, you mix that with any kind of non-Newtonian um, materials and you can suddenly like theoretically, it's not been done yet, but theoretically you could have a, a bulletproof shirt, t-shirt or a, like a long sleeve shirt. So essentially you could make Iron Man. So obviously there's a lot of um, like military applications for something like that. And a lot of, you know, reason why you'd want to have your entire army outfitted with something like that. So yeah, that's kind of where we started. Yeah. In fact, I know some people that are working on, on that exact thing. It's basically the Iron Man suit that's wearable and, and flexible and, and moves like every other piece of normal clothing. Cause right now, if you have to have a bulletproof shirt or vest, you have to have, you know, this huge plate of steel, this thing with a ceramic on it and it weighs like 45 pounds. Um, and quite frankly, it doesn't really protect much more than like the, the vitalist of organs. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Well, you guys should hurry up and invent, you know, my new one-piece ski suit. I'll, I'll trade in my Bogner one-piece and, uh, and start, yeah, skiing in the, the bulletproof spider web yeah. <laughs> indestructible Iron Man. Uh, it's, yeah. it's coming, man. It's seriously, we, like, we thought about doing it. It's not, it's, there's, it's not close enough with the margins and stuff to put in ski apparel, but it's, it could be done and it will be done, I, I think, in the next 10 years. Absolutely. Wow. Um, like whether you as a skier really need to have like, you know, 
stuff that gets stiffer if you hit a tree. I don't know. I just don't hit the tree, but uh, <laughs> it's possible. It's definitely possible. So let's get to the like, okay, so what, right? Like, so why should somebody care about this? What what are the claims? Uh, what are the performance characteristics that you are claiming uh, introducing this, I believe, as you guys call it, HDT, uh, yep. hyper damping technology or dampening technology? Yeah, so the... The technological advancement that we're what we're bringing here is, and this is getting a little nerdy, but it's basically the first variable dampness ski. And what that means in layman's terms is it basically means it's a first ski that can feel like it changes its stiffness, right? So every ski in, or any ski can be stiff, right? It's called a race ski. You just put a bunch of metal in it, make you, you make it thick, and it's Lindsey Vonn's race ski, or actually, or Buddy Miller, that guy has uh, the stiffest skis in the world. Um, but uh, so you like making a damp ski is has been done. It's, it, it, anybody can do that. Making a ski that can change its dampness is has never been done. And because to do that effectively in the past, you would have to change like the actual structure of the ski um, as you ski in order to do something like that. So like you have to literally be adding and subtracting, subtracting weight or adding and subtracting material in order to hit that same kind of metric um, with HCT. Uh, it, the polymer, the way it reacts, it effectively it can it can effectively do that without having any dials, anything you know, with your hands, nothing that has to be changed while skiing to get the same performance benefits of anything from a soft ski to a stiffer ski on the same package. Hmm. So, it's the fact that it can change its dampness which makes it so cool. Anybody can make a damp ski. Anybody can make a you know a soft like chatter ski, you know, like a carbon fiber ski. But to have a ski that can kind of flow between the two is is a uh, kind of it's, it's just never been done. So so then, how does this work? You know, like talk about okay. I mean that that sounds extremely interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then explain how, what is the activating property here? How do we get how do we get things to move from a at slower speeds? We've got a softer flexing ski. Mm-hmm. As you start raging down the mountain, things stiffen up. What mm-hmm. what activates yeah. this? Yeah, so basically there's a polydimethylsiloxane, which is also known as PDMS for short, um, which is crosslink with boron. And the kicker here is that crosslink is under high uh, situations, essentially, uh, those those uh, bonds, the crosslinks are broken and the molecules get basically get in the way of each other. They don't have time to reform the bonds because they're not strong enough. So the, the molecules start getting in the way of each other. So as you're going fast, so like, you know, skiing fast or as you punch it or something like that, or in the case of a bulletproof vest, you get shot. Um, those, there's not enough time for those bonds to be remade and the material ends up feeling, get a lot more like basically syrupy and stickier and, and gets much, much harder to the point where if you really hit it hard, it actually shatters. Um, it gets that hard. I mean, if skiing, obviously you never hit those high enough speeds or high enough impacts and stuff like that. But like in theory, that's where it would go. Whereas when you slow it down, those bonds have time to kind of reform and then they can essentially, I don't say dance, but essentially dance around each other to make a softer, um, like more flow uh, within the material. So it really comes down to the, the links between the, um, the different molecules in the HDT that actually makes that ski feel like it, like it gets stiffer and softer. Hmm. So it's really, it's really chemical engineering more than anything. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's pretty wild stuff. Like the first thing that like wrapped up that, you know, we would always do with people was we just take the stuff and wrap it around your finger 
and take a big mallet and like it's like soft it's like silly putty you, you know you wrap it on your finger and take a mallet and just smash your finger and uh, you can feel it like no doubt like, i'm not saying that this is like this uh, whatever what's it called vibranium from uh <laughs> from marvel it's not vibranium <laughs> in the sense like it goes like all vibrations gone but you can still feel it but the this the reality is you i would never wrap my finger like in like foam or similar thing and smash it with a you know a three pound sledgehammer basically um and be okay with it um yeah, and like we went to the point we actually were in uh, at a ski shop in Aspen once and having a couple of drinks and the guys were just like calling me out like, oh, dude, this is BS. Like it's not a marketing thing. Like we've seen this stuff before. And I was like, oh, it's all good, man. Like here, I handed it to them. Um, they first put around their piece. They couldn't break their piece with a metal hammer. So then they put it around like an empty Corona bottle. And we have a video of them like smashing the Corona bottle with a metal hammer and like an empty Corona bottle, like glass, and they couldn't break it. And then, huh. the, you know, they take it off and then one hit and the thing obviously shatters. Um, so it's, it's pretty insane stuff. Like the fact that it can change so much, you know, and go for such like a, a soft to a, such a stiff, um, material in such a short amount of time. And the cool thing with that is that it means it's, it's, it's like a super, it's super smart. It's always adapting, always changing to exactly whatever you're on in that instant, rather than being some kind of delayed, you know, there's no, there's like no electronics that are going to be delayed in that reaction to whatever you're skiing on. Hmm. <laughs> It's wild. Ma- many questions here. Um, and yeah, I mean, I should say, like, I have yet to ski. Uh, well, I've yet to ski any renowned skis. Uh, I've yet to ski a ski with HDT in it. And that is about to change very soon. Uh, cool. So um, I'll be I'll be getting these on snow myself. We've had we have other reviewers currently on these skis and I have to say their their initial reports have been very positive. Um I tend to be incredibly skeptical of this sort of stuff. But I think in this case um I mean it seems just intuitive the idea that if you're working through a technical section at slower speeds um or let's just say a less experienced skier who is trying Mm -hmm. to negotiate a mogul run it you can see how that might be pretty beneficial to be on a softer more pliable ski at that point um even if there's somebody who feels quite comfortable at speed on a clean groomer Mm -hmm. definitely Hmm. yeah yeah, and I think, you know, one thing I always say, and I'm, I'm the first one to say this, and it's only the marketing guys that uh, always keep me from putting this on the website, is, and I will say this forever, is it's not the holy grail. Um, it, honestly, I don't know really what it is. Uh, I, it's not, and I, it's not even as good as um, like shape skis. Like, I really think that shape skis, to me, like shape skis was like the first iPhone. You know, like yeah. it, it took, it, it was just completely different, and it rewrote the, all the rules of the game as far as like how you design things, like the UX, the interface, everything. Um, whereas like HTT to me is more of like the iPhone 10 or like, you know, the next, mm-hmm. the biggest leap that they had, um, in that iPhone or the, in the phone area kind of thing. Um, it's not, it's never going to change. Like I'm a, I'm still a firm believer in like at the end of the day, it comes down to you. And if you don't know how to have fun, have fun on whatever skis you're on, then like, that's kind of your fault. Yeah. Like I've got friends and you know, if you can have fun on two tabs too, you know, just cruising down on straight skis, like absolutely. And if you can't, that's kind of. It's kind of on you. Yeah. Um, so, and I, and I think HTT is in the same way that is it going to make, like, will it make every day, you know, like the best day in the world? No. But will it make every day better? Yeah, definitely. Is mm-hmm. the best performance, in, like, it's the best technology that's come out in the, since 
shape skis, absolutely I'll stand by that 110%. Because um, I just know the numbers and we've we put it in the lab, we've tested the stuff. Like That's how we won, when we won the um, ISPO Gold, we hadn't even sold a single pair of skis yet, uh, like not one. Um, and we just showed them our data and we gave them the skis. And uh, essentially they were just like, wow, well, you know, if, if this data is not fake, then uh-huh. this is insane. Um, well, say more about that. What yeah. what data were they looking at? Yeah, so we did a couple different tests. The first one, and this was like a proof of concept. It was kind of fun. So we basically, we were building skis. They were really crappy. We heard about this non-Newtonian stuff. We finally got our hands on it. And rather than, like, we were just too broke to, like, to build a full another, another full pair of skis because we had just built, like, another six or seven more that all still sucked. Um, we built some, like, sample pieces that basically had, like, a core element, an edge, a base, a, a sidewall, and a top sheet. Um, to get like the, they're like two and a half feet long. And we sent them out to a buddy that does, he's got a PhD in vibration mechanics. Essentially he keeps helicopters in the sky now. It's his job. And, <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> yeah. And he put on a test bench. We gave him three, one that was a like basic, uh, core, one that had the exact same core with a few strips of this HTT in it. And one that had a few strips of HTT plus, um, a space, a, a, one last spray layer and then the top sheet on top of it. So we kind of gave him like the control and then the two other ones that had varying levels of HGT. Um, but other than that, everything was held constant, like same fiberglass, same base, same edges, same sidewall, like same wood material, everything, same dimensions, all that stuff. And essentially he came back, the test he came back with, um, he, well, his, his email was just like, what, what is this stuff guys? This is insane. And what he was seeing was like the natural frequency of this thing was, was changing. And what that in like non nerd terms means is that basically it, that ski was effectively getting stiffer the, fa- the faster he shook it. So he was like, it's acting as if I'm adding a sheet of metal to this thing and then shaking it harder and then, you know, another sheet of metal and shaking it harder to get these numbers, to get this graph to, to curve the way it was curving. Whereas the, the normal piece of, uh, of core was just doing this the same old, like no matter how hard he shook it, it wasn't changing. It's, it's basically what's called natural frequency. The, it's the effectiveness of how stiff it was. Um, and so basically what he was saying is like your stuff is like two or 300% or 200, two to 250% more damp when I shake it hard than it is when it's like going really slow. Um, which was pretty awesome. And, and that's when we realized that, okay, we have this, you know, we have this thing that could be totally different. We then went on to build like full, like full size skis and we were expecting like the, the performance benefits to kind of actually drop a little bit because we had a smaller ratio of HGT to wood core, um, going on. And that test on a full size, like where people still ski the skis today, actually on that ski, we saw an increase in dampness of over 300%. So it actually went up uh, for its ability to, to dampen out. Um, and yeah, so basically that's, that's the data we gave the ISPO um, crew. And for those of you that don't know, ISPO is it's based this like huge international, it's like uh, SIA, but bigger in yeah. Europe. Yeah. Um, and so we just got the email one day saying, Hey, congratulations. And you guys won ISPO gold. And I literally had to text my buddy who worked at Burton and like, Hey, Derp, uh, Doug, like we won ISPO gold. Like, is this a, like, what's the deal with that? And he's, <laughs> he calls me up and he's just like, dude, I've worked at Burton for 30 or whatever. He's like 20, 22 years. I've won ISPO gold once. Like, huh. That's insane. <laughs> um, he's like, you should probably get on your, you know, your button airplane to fly out there. Kind of thing. And I, it wasn't until I flew out there and, and realized like how big a deal this was. And you know, we yeah. were on stage and like Alon and like Raz and all, and like all those huge companies were literally down, like looking up when I was giving this award, basically saying like, what the hell happened? Like what happened to our technology, this or our technology that, like, how do we not win this thing? Um, so 
it was yeah, it's pretty nuts. And the, and the cool thing here that that I kind of always go back to is the fact that we really did like we started as like engineers coming to this thing, and we 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 literally proved this thing in a lab and, and knew that it would work at a, at a pretty high amount before we ever even you know took it to the market. Mm -hmm. um, because I, like, again, it goes back to that. I'm pretty adamant about the fact that like you can have fun on really any pair of skis. And I'll, I'll still say this, like, you know, I know Jay pretty well and a couple other guys, um, like from L3P and RMU and stuff like that, but, like all their skis are awesome. Like I can, ne you can never take it away from any ski company is that the cool thing about this industry is that everybody, everybody puts their heart and soul into the skis because if a ski is not good, it doesn't sell. And so you have to, you have to be on your toes. You always have to be doing your best. And um, it's 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 a, it's a cool industry to be part of, kind of thing. And it's uh, it was fun to come into it with a, a little bit different perspective, you know, coming from the number side and just like kind of proving, at least at least at the very least, a technology that we wanted to incorporate into a ski. It happened to be our skis at the time, and, and down the road it could be more. Um, but a technology we want to incorporate into a ski to that we thought that we knew we could prove that would increase the benefits um, for performance benefits for anybody. So one of the things I'm real curious about is the question of how you go about finding how much HDT to put into a ski. Like how mm -hmm. much is too much? How much is too little? And why isn't, why isn't more HDT better? Yeah, it's great. that's a great question. Um, <laughs> we actually we found a limit because we put too much HDT in and the ski absolutely sucked. Um, it, what it basically what it does is it loses its spine, like the core of a ski, like, um, like think of a car. It's like, you still want four wheels and a steering wheel, you know, like a Tesla happens to have electric motor and go really, really fast and might be super quiet, but it still has four wheels and a steering wheel kind of thing. And we realized we, we pushed it, we put about 30, I think it was like 34% of HDT in there. And the thing just, it just, it was weird. It was one of those <laughs> things you got on and it wasn't, it wasn't fun. And like, you know, because we, we built ourselves, we like run through a bunch of, you know, runs and like really tried and tested out and like, okay, like, you know, knowing what we know and, and like knowing the numbers we know, like we can see how this is actually, you know, this could be a better for this particular scenario. But the reality was, is like anybody that got on that ski that wasn't a total nerd that didn't know all the numbers and the and engineering that went into it would just be like, this ski sucks. Um, hmm. So we realized the cap was definitely like, you know, in the realms of 34% or so. Um, and so we dialed it back uh, from there. And essentially it sounds like, you know, <laughs> I wish I could say it's like more uh, techie than this, but we really just built a bunch of skis and test them out and figured out which one we like best. Yeah. Because um, it kind of is uncharted territory uh, that no one had done this before. So we that's kind of the best we could go off of. There's no like standard, there's no like, you know, like ASTM standard that we had a hit of as far as like vibration dampness or something like that. So it really was just building skis and skiing. Yeah. Cause you know, I've, I've checked out some of the videos uh, you have on the website and <clears throat> I don't know if these are like more or less kind of accurate representations, but it looks like, and like, I don't know, we'll see if we can either post those videos on the show notes for this podcast episode and we'll have links to your website, you know, that kind of thing. But, mm -hmm. you know, so please correct me here if I'm, if, uh, if those videos aren't sort of indicative, but it actually looks like it's relatively thin, uh, layers of this goop 
mm-hmm. right? It, is that a fair – like it doesn't it, – it's it looks like a traditional wood core mm-hmm. where there are these slots cut out, you know, yep. to dump in your, your fancy silly putty. Yep, exactly. Okay. Uh, we actually – we actually have literal, actual uh, CAD and, and blueprints online for free of all our skis. Um, just basically because we, we do that just because uh, it's one of those things like we just know our, our stuff is good. We have a patent behind it. Um, and so, yeah, we actually have that stuff. I can actually send you and we can put it up if you want to of like the actual blueprint diagrams of all of our skis. So that's all it is. It's just we mill out three channels in the tip, three in the tail and 200 foot. And they go down to a depth of, I don't want to the exact number, but it basically is between like, like 0.5 and, and one millimeter from the, from the, the bottom of the core. Cause we don't want to go all the way through otherwise the core gets like really loose and it's hard to put together on, in a ski. Um, but that's it. And then we put the HDT inside of there and then, and then you basically smash the ski together and build it like a normal ski. So it's really not much like the, uh, depending on the length of the ski, it's anywhere from like, f- like 13 to 15% of the, the volume of the core that we mm-hmm. swap out for this HGT. Hmm. So it's, that's the crazy thing too, is like, it's only, it's not much like, you know, 15% swap out and we see, we can see an increase in up to, you know, 300% difference in, in vibration. It's like adding like two sheets of metal on your ski when you're going fast and then taking hmm. them off, like in slowly, and t- slowly taking them off as you slow down. Hmm. So Interesting. And yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to see that stuff and, and post that up, uh, if, if you have it. Um, cause yeah. I, I definitely want people to, to get to see what the, what the inside of a renowned ski looks like. Yeah. Yeah. We um, actually even, we actually ship them for, we sell them for free too. We just charge like a couple bucks for, uh, for shipping. Uh, they're pretty cool. Hmm. That's yeah. very cool. So, okay. So here's, here's, I think like the kind of obnoxious, but kind of, uh, good <laughs> question yeah, maybe fire. is is the like all right so yeah yeah if this hdt stuff and these non-newtonian polymers were all that how come we're not seeing more companies do this oh yeah uh pretty easy answer uh, we have a patent for it <laughs> that's a pretty <laughs> solid answer so yeah congrats. actually multiple but <laughs> yeah um yeah so that was actually like the first we spent we spent more of the patent for the first two years than we spent on like building skis, which is totally backwards. Um, I don't regret it now because it's prevented. We we've had calls from I can't like get into the details, but we had calls from multiple companies, some of which um, are rather large uh, that have asked us about this stuff and licensing opportunities and whatnot because they know we have the patent behind it. We've since actually filed additional ones uh, for. Like think of this stuff in um, like surfboards, right? We test it in surfboards, and it's even better than it is in skis. Imagine huh. it in like a like a wakeboard or a water ski or like the U.S. Um, the sailing races they have. Imagine the boat hull of like a, a super super fast yacht. You can make the yachts like later, but still be able to take an impact from like a rogue wave or something like that. So, it honestly skis are like we actually we start putting in flooring systems so like basketball floors you can have a floor where like you need to land on your, your knee doesn't vibrate as much so like you have less in like you're less prone for injury so we're actually working out on the side as far as like getting into nba flooring and eventually on the olympic side for uh for just vibration reduction floors wait a um, second wait a second you're currently working oh yeah on on nba flooring yeah <laughs> well don't don't say it like that that's well, kind of i didn't uh, think we were going to end up talking today about nba flooring oh sorry uh, 
Yeah, it, it, it's uh, the I guess the beauty of uh, the ski industry is that it's really cool, right? People are always, always like, oh, like you work, you make it, you make skis, like that's so rad. And uh, this guy happened to read an article and he sold flooring and he, long story short, he called us up and said, this is cool, you should put in flooring. And we said, no, this is dumb. Um, we don't want to do that. And he, he just kept calling us back and say, this this should go in flooring. So he finally took it, we, te- we tested it out and we realized that we could decrease at the very least, we could decrease vibrations at a pretty substantial amount and or make a much thinner and lighter floor. So hmm. like if you have a portable uh, floor, like a lot of um, yeah. gymnasiums have portable floors, we can make ones like literally half the weight or half the oh, thickness. Wow. Um, so um, yeah, so we're working that on that. And then like the other stuff, like we essentially, we haven't really, yeah, we're, we're working on like, the surfboard side because that's something we don't, we don't really know like a little bit inside to like what we're, you know, with renowned like future plans. We're not sure if we want to actually physically build surfboards or if you want to, you know, call it Quicksilver or something, but, um, but we have that patent and, uh, and we're, you know, currently, currently working on a couple others. Um, cause it, yeah, we just, every time we put this stuff inside something, we measure it. It's just like, Oh man, we, we got to do this. This is cool. So, huh. and right now we're just trying to focus on like sporting activities that we enjoy or that we, you know, think are cool. Wow. <clears throat> well, it's funny. There's a video, and I was going to ask you about this. There's mm-hmm. in your like about that's the about video on the website about renown. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a line in there where you say, "quote Renown is a specialty brand, and we decided that skis was the first product we wanted to tackle." So my question was, okay, so what other products? we're on your list to tackle and I guess we're starting to, yeah, yeah flooring and surfboards and, <laughs> and, a good, and, and who knows very, where else. Yeah. Very, very good catch. Um, yeah, I put that in there on purpose because even when I first, you know, first started working on this and, and I don't know, do you know, do you know Mike Nick? He worked with J Lev in the beginning. Um, he started a company called Cyber Cartel, sold it to a garage, worked for a garage for a while. He won the X Games a couple of times back in the early, early days, back when, you know, still blades were still a thing. Um, anyhow, but he, he was out there filming with us on Mount Hood for like all those videos. And yeah, yeah, when I said that, he was like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, man, think of all the other applications. You know, this is not the beginning. Like I'm not here to, I'm not here just to, just to build skis. You know, there's, there's so many more applications for this stuff and so many other like cool elements that this can go into. And, uh, and to me, like, you know, skiing's always, like, I've always loved skiing. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm sure as you and like everybody that's ever worked in a ski shop, like the ski industry is hard, man. You know, it's, it's a brutal, like it's, it's a lot of work, you know, and sometimes there's not a whole lot of payout kind of thing. And so the way we saw it was like, okay, like this is what I love to do. And if there's a way to essentially hedge our bets, like imagine, you know, imagine if we were like being you know, a up license and deal with our company for like license, like for floors or for like surfboards or something like that, like to be able to put that money back into like, you know, renown and, and keep pursuing and pushing the boundaries of design and engineering for a ski company. Like what could you do with athletes and stuff like that? Like what if you could suddenly sponsor athletes and like give them real dollars, like real money and not just free skis, you know, what would that do? Like, well, how would that like, upend like the, the flow of, of information, the flow of, um, content and stuff like that if suddenly you were able to say hey if you're a renowned athlete like your first go is a free pair of skis and if you if you do well you can like work up the ranks and work up the ladder and actually get paid and actually have like insurance like say if you hurt yourself you're not you know they don't just cut your salary and you're done um like no one's ever done that before i think like to me that's what's like the most exciting part is because i've seen so many people out there like just you know 
push themselves in their bodies and like, throw themselves through the air and then the second they get hurt, um, you know, kind of everything stops for them. And uh, I would love more than anything to be able to be a company that has like the most robust uh, athlete program you could, you know, out there with uh, that just backs them to the end of, you know, backs them through and through with uh, everything they need uh, while they're, while they're with us. So that's the way I see it. It's like, it's almost as an avenue to be able to, to kind of support uh, the side that like through, you know, secondary support to kind of see that vision through. Hmm. Well, that is super interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's very cool. So you keep using the word we, who is we? Totally. Yeah. So I started right now with, um, five other guys. We, they, I asked them to leave essentially five years ago, pretty quickly. Um, and I've since, and the reason why I say we is it's still a pretty small company, like newsflash, um, like a lot of small ski companies are, you know, like five, six, seven people out there kind of thing. I say we, because I work with so many people. Um, like I still work with one computer by myself in an office, but I say we, because I leverage, there's so many people that are, have their hands on renowned things that uh, there's no way I can take claim for all of it. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got like studio guys that work on the graphics for our website, guys that work on graphics for our skis, guys that, you know, do like our chat, people that answer emails. Like my sister does, like my sister does all our shipping. Um, <laughs> in our world headquarters for shipping is my parents' basement right now. And like, I'm not <laughs> joking. Like that's like, that's it. And so like, I couldn't do that without like my parents. I couldn't do it with my sister. I couldn't do it without the design guys. They, you know, we've got another design guy that's overseas and another gal that's like that helped the stuff out of London. Um, and then people, like countless people who have jumped in for like demo days. If we ever do those, like if, you know, anything. So there's, I just feel like if I say I, it's like a complete, um, I don't say a lie. Yeah, it's a lie. And it's also just taking away from like the hours and, you know, that other people have put in, uh, towards this thing. So it's still a small company for sure. You know, we don't make tons of skis and, you know, our, our ultimate goal is to, to build as many skis as possible. Um, you know, I guess the cliche thing to say is like, oh yeah, we want to build the best skis possible, not the most skis possible. Yeah. We still want to sell a bunch of skis, right? That's, you know, that's what we're here for. Um, but if we can do it in a better way, then that's what, you know, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. So speaking of selling a lot of skis, um, the current renowned lineup, it, it isn't a bunch of different models, right? It's just right. a couple. Yeah. And we, yeah, we did that on purpose. Um, because it, it, a couple of things like there's even with HGT, like the story behind HGT is like, Hey, you have a ski that's now adaptable to conditions. And it basically means that you can throw, like there's more eggs in the basket to like kind of spread around for different kinds of conditions. The reality is, and like I said this before, like it won't ever cover all of them. Right. So we basically picked the two that we thought were going to have like the, be the easiest buckets to essentially grow. So like one is a carving ski and one, is what I call an all mountain, which some people more consider like a free ride ski. And we did that because we wanted the skis to be totally different. Cause if I'm on, if I'm, if I'm emailing somebody or I'm on the phone with somebody, I need to be able to explain to them like within two seconds, what the endurance does and what the Z line does. And they, they can't be like, Oh, well, I'm not really sure. Cause like most people do not fall in between those two. Um, well, like, very few do. Um, and it makes it much easier to capture like, and define those two specific skis. So we did it on purpose, um, just because we don't like in you know, the narrative renown of, of HTT is to have its stat We don't need tons of skis. And so what would it look like if we had 20 pair or 20 different models or, you know, 
or whatever or more um, for sale. Um, so we just don't. And we're actually, we are bringing a third, but that's a, that's a different story altogether. <laughs> uh, do we want to talk about that or do we want to not talk about that? Um, yeah, we, we can for sure. We're going to tease it. We're, we're, we're launching in like two weeks anyhow. So by the time this thing goes up, it's going to be, <laughs> it'll be live probably or soon to be live. Soon to be live. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so in the third model that we're bringing in this year, it's like pre-limbsy quantities uh, is a 106 version. It's, we call it the Citadel. Uh, it's 106 underfoot, full carbon fiber, and we have twice the amount of HDT. It's still it's about it's about 18, 19% of the actual wood core. So it's not twice the volume of HDT, but it's twice the comparable amount compared to other skis. Um, and so that ski, basically what we're doing there is combining carbon fiber, which is an inherently tinny and chattery substance, with HDT, which is an inherently like dampening substance, right? So the all the goal here is Number one, not to make the lightest ski in the world because I don't care about counting grams, but to make a light ski, something that's not heavy, that does not suck go down, going downhill. So that's what the Citadel is. So it's called the Citadel 106, and um, it's basically it's, we're going up for pre-order pretty soon. But it's it's basically a ski that I've been wanting to build for like four years. Um, I'm six, I'm six six, uh, so that's like 200 centimeters tall, and Every ski I've ever built has always been too short for me. Um, so we're finally bringing the ski in, in like a, a 191, like a 185 or something, the 170 something. But it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of just, it, to me, it's the holy grail ski for me personally. Um, we'll see like, how, it, how it goes when it actually sells. It's going to be pretty dang expensive, uh, which, you know, is obviously a pretty tough, tough thing in this, in this market too. But it's, it's going to be insane. <laughs> we've, got, we've, had, we've been working on it for like two or three years with athletes. Um, and uh, it's the kind of like this consensus is like, all right, a ski that I can tr- like tour up and then drop big lines and not be scared shitless when I go out through the chunder. So it's kind of what we were anticipating or that's what we were aiming for. Yeah. And I, <clears throat> when I, you'd, you'd mentioned, you know, prior to this conversation, you'd, you'd mentioned the ski and I thought this is kind of weird. Like why, why bring in carbon fiber and mm-hmm. mix it with HDT? But I guess that's clear. While we've kind of heard, it seems like it's become like one of the cool things to say about carbon. Like, well, we've introduced carbon, but we didn't do it to minimize weight. We did it for these Mm -hmm. other reasons. Seems like you are explicitly saying like we introduced carbon to bring down weight. But but by by combining it with HDT, we can keep a lightweight ski and keep a ski that has good suspension and damping. Yeah, and, and our goal like definitely is not to build a light ski because like DPS they make awesome awesome light skis you know like in some of the uh, like Dina Sars and, and the Dina Fits out there they're they're insanely light and uh, and we just don't that's just like I guess going back to like why we had two to begin with if we want to like suddenly set like target like the light ski out there we just honestly we don't have the manufacturing capabilities to hit that like that low of a number and we don't really like want to. Um, cause there's, there's something inherently nice about having a little bit heavier skier. Um, it just, the, the physics dictate that it's going to be a little bit better. So we'll see. I mean, we'll, the, I guess the market always tells you if you're right or wrong. Uh, we've had a lot of folks like ask us for a ski like this. Um, but you know, we've, we've been wrong in the past certainly. So you'll, you'll never, we'll never know, but I'm, I'm personally, I'm super excited about it. I'm so definitely gonna be, this is going to be my new, uh, one ski for sure. Hmm. Well, to 
wrap up here, two things I wanted to ask you about if if people are curious about these skis. Um, you've got two things listed on your website, um, a 100-day guarantee mm-hmm. and a two-year warranty. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to hear you tease out what, what those things are. What's this 100-day guarantee? Yeah, totally. So first, the, uh, the two-year warranty is exactly what you think it is. Um, you know, we just back our skis with a good warranty. Essentially, the, yeah, and this wraps into like the 100-day, but we're, we're, we're too young, we're too small of a brand to take a hit because somebody like whatever, bashed their ski or hit their ski or broke their ski or, or whatever happens. So like we're going to back in no matter what. Um, we've had people actually... Well, I mean, we haven't had, we haven't had anybody for three years um, return a ski for like from the first years of production, but that's re- rarely an issue. We think we've had like a few warranty issues, but that's kind of by like you know people know what warranty stuff is. But as far as like the hundred day, so the hundred day, and I'll say this to every small ski manufacturer out there: give people a one hundred day guarantee. Just do it. It has sold more skis than the New York Times, than every magazine we've ever had been written up up in every news like newspaper article everything combined because who else is crazy enough to say hey buy my ski drill it ski it for 100 days aka almost an entire season and if you don't love it we will give all of your money back no questions asked right um and that and that's that's really what it is we actually and i stole it like straight up i did not invent this thing there's this company called Casper. They sell mattresses direct to consumer, similar price point. It's a similar you know, buying decision. You don't buy mattresses every day. It's about a thousand bucks, just over a thousand dollars, you know, 1500 after you buy pillows and everything. They have a hundred a guarantee. That company, I mean, I read an article in New York times. They had $28 million in sales in the first month. Like they clearly were doing something right. So I figured at the very least I should try to borrow from that. And I did. Hmm. And, um, and it worked really well. And, uh, it's one of those things like, we have returns. In fact, we had a return today. So that's, that marks our sixth return for this season. But we're talking six skis out of hundreds, right? Yep. So two things. One, it means that when someone's like, oh, I'm not really sure, then there's, like, there's kind of no reason not to because if you don't like it, you just send it back. But more importantly, and this is like what I think is the most important thing, is that if you buy the ski and you don't return it, then you're almost like – you, you have to like it because you basically I was offering you a thousand dollars or 1200 bucks to, to take it back. And you, since you didn't want to take it, then you, you love the ski, right? So we have crazy brand evangelists out there, people that love our skis because they know they could take it, they could send it back, but they didn't. Right. And, um, like our referral rate, and this is like one of the things we almost like thought about doing was like stop marketing altogether because our referral rate is like 70%. Um, like hmm. 70% of our customers come like specifically say, Oh, Bob, xyz told me or steve whatever told me to come and uh, and that's it's amazing and uh like that that 100 day guarantee for that reason alone is worth every penny it's kind of like uh, like patagonia has an ironclad guarantee and like you know everyone sean you i knew like my one of my lawyers um actually worked for him for a while and he's he kept like bringing it back to him like you know you like you you should get rid of this ironclad thing it's costing you like you like do the math out and show him how many millions of dollars he's losing and the guy would basically be like tj shut up I'm never getting rid of that. Like that thing's never going away. And he's like, because it's, it, it has this, like this soul that no one can kind of come close. You can't like, you can't take it away and, and no one can chip away. Cause anybody can build like a better product than you or like make it a cooler color or make it faster or whatever. But 
one thing that Patagonia has that nobody can ever take away is this like insane guarantee that, yeah, we'll fix it. No problem. See you later. You know? So that's where the hundred day guarantee came into. And, um, and it's been, it's been so great. And like, <laughs> it's so much fun. Like, you know, we'll have customers like actually guy that's come the, the six return. It's coming in tomorrow to drop off the ski. He's flying in from Montana to hand deliver the ski back to us. Like how crazy is that? Uh, that's know, like, crazy. It's, Why it's is not, he doing that? Yeah. Because he wants to, like, it's not, he actually, he owns both pairs and it's like, he doesn't like the endurance, which is, which is great. Like I'm, I'm stoked that he's giving it back because not only like we'll, we'll give it to one of our interns and they'll go ride it and they'll be super pumped. Um, but it's, a uh, yeah, it, I think he just like, it's not about the money, you know, clearly yeah. cause he's flying back from Montana, yeah. which is not a cheap <laughs> place to fly. But, um, yeah, just the fact that, like we're backing the product so much that you know when he says, "Hey, like I skied it, I don't like if I return it, I'd be great," and we say, "Not a problem, Bill." You know, like here's the shipping label, and he's like, "No, actually, we're gonna fly it in." But um, yeah, it's nuts. It's great, and it's cool too because you get to really know your customers. And in like another thing is we we don't have a lot of bad reviews because if you don't like your ski, then we buy it back, and you don't have yeah. a bad. Then you don't then the worst you can say is like, it wasn't for me, which yeah. is true. Cause at the end of the day, we, again, we build two, almost, you know, three models. The reality is there are so many skier types out there that will never fit inside those buckets. And even if our buckets are a little bit wider, they can catch a little more people because of HDT, like we're still going to miss, you know, honestly, a huge portion of the market. So at the end of the day, like what I see is like, if someone returns a pair of skis, we made a mistake somewhere convincing them them to buy a ski to buy our ski when they shouldn't have so like we have to keep our our language and our website super dialed so that no one reads something we're never promising the world as far as like this ski does everything yeah you know because it's like okay so like uh, no one wants a ski that can do everything because it means it can do nothing well hmm. <laughs> well man this has been super <laughs> interesting uh yeah um what an interesting conversation um i I'm inclined to ask, um, what's the best question I haven't asked you? Hmm. Um, I think, I guess the one question I, I definitely thought was going to be asked was, okay, man, you know, like, what about the K24? What about the vocal, like, Uvo and, like, the Soul 7 air tip? Like, you know, how does your technology compare to, like, you know, all the thousands of other technologies, like, foot core technology, you know, all that stuff? I think that's what, like I, I that was a question I definitely was expecting to like ask is you know what about the you know other technologies that companies have? Hmm. Well, and I think that's interesting. I think I've stopped asking asking ski designers questions like that mm-hmm. because honestly, I very rarely found that many of them have a really dialed answer. Like, mm-hmm. mo- honestly, m- most of the time it, I have ski designers asking us, like, what did you guys think of this tech or that tech? Um, yeah. And so I think I've stopped the idea that, huh. you know, people are really, really dialing in on what maybe some of their competitors are, you know, offering uh, in terms of solutions to certain problems. But mm-hmm. um, it sounds like maybe you're different in that regard that you are, is that, is that accurate that you are really checking out some of these things? And Oh, Oh yeah. I think it's fascinating, you know, cause the, uh, like at the, like I said in the beginning, like the, at the end of the day, everybody is building sticks that slide on snow, 
Um, and that's, that's one thing that Jay told me in the beginning. He's like, dude, just remember you're, you're building sticks that slide on snow, like have fun with it. Don't take yourself too seriously. Like it's just, you know, <laughs> a slippery stick. That's all this. Um, but yeah, I think it's just interesting, um, because it's such a hard thing to do well, right? Because there's such a small, like you're dealing with such a tiny, there's not much you can do with like a ski, you know, it can't be. Like we got really fat and I got a little nutty, you know, but you can't go too thick with it. Like it essentially has to use essentially the same materials. Like the stuff that we build in our skis is like the same stuff that K2 does, which is the same stuff that Razi does as far as like the, the inherent building blocks and all that stuff. So it's like trying to make a cake with the same flour, the same sugar, the same butter. And it's just like the small tweaks to the recipe that you make that make that cakes like stand out, you know, or win awards or not, you know? So hmm. I think it's fascinating. And uh, the thing that really like, uh, I love too is just you know watching a ski to, like a ski technology paired with really great marketing is is like it's so cool because at the end of the day and Mike Nick told me this in the beginning he's like Cyrus perception is reality right so if someone perceives that ski to be X Y Z then it is and so if you can match like great engineering with a great marketing team like the like I, what I always come back to is the uh, the Rossi Soul Seven like that like that ski sold they sold so many skis because they they nailed it with like the right marketing story, the right look, the right graphic design and the right, like, you know, engineering twist. Um, so I, I think it's just like super, super cool um, to, to see these companies like create these new things. Like, do I think they're better? Like I can, I, would, I can show you math as to why like, I would argue that some things are uh, like just marketing and there's no engineering behind it. Um, but regardless, like you can't take that away from somebody because like if K2 sell or sorry, or Razi sells like, you know, a couple million sell sevens and you have a couple million happy soul seven customers, aren't we all there to go ski and have fun at the end of the day? Right. So like you can't take away from, I think it's like hats off to them. I think it's pretty cool. And for me, I like, I definitely keep an eye on that stuff and like, you know, crunch the numbers and work the math out and try to scheme when I can. Cause I'm curious, you know, cause maybe there's something there. Hmm. Hmm. And I know, and I know like, I know Rasnall has bought our skis. I know big companies have bought our skis because I've talked to some of the people there that have placed the orders. So <laughs> very interesting. Um, yeah. Well, Hey Cyrus, um, this has been really interesting and I'm looking forward to, for the first time checking these skis out myself. Um, and yeah, that's going to, that's going to be happening soon. I mean, we're, we'll, uh, we'll do it a little bit. We'll let conditions decide kind of what we get on first and, yeah. and that type of thing. But, um, yeah, we're, we're currently, uh, like I said, other reviewers are currently getting time on the renowned Z line 90 mm -hmm. and the endurance 98. Right. Nice. So those are, yep. that's, that's what we'll be weighing in on. Super. So, uh, yeah. That was exciting. Yeah. Well, hey, really, I appreciate the conversation, and um, thanks for thanks for doing this. And um, man, um, we're we're gonna keep an eye on uh, <laughs> well, on the lookout for renown written on NBA floors uh, and <laughs> and uh, surfboards and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's a slow, it's just always a long road, but it's uh, we're on it. So hmm. see where it leads. Well, hey, thanks again for the time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Hi, right, Jonathan. Catch you later. All right. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Cyrus for the conversation. And you can go to renown.com to learn more about HDT and what all Cyrus is cooking up there. 
You can also go to our site, blisterreview.com, to see more videos of HDT in action and photos and other supporting materials. And now I need to go drill a few more skis and start to pack and do a bunch of other stuff because it's time to go skiing in Telluride. Take care, everybody.